uh, live. We're the Young Jerks. My name is Mike Crawford. I uh, hope it's worth the wait. It was for us. We got a great show tonight, a special show. Again, my name is Mike Crawford. We're at Down the Road Beer Company. It's the Young Jerks on Disrupt Boston uh, right now. Uh, it's my honor. We have a pretty, uh, my honor, <laughs> honor, honor, <laughs> whatever, whatever way you want to say it. Um, I also want to say, uh, if you notice a few things, too, about my, if, to keep it about me for a second, a quick <laughs> second, before we get to all of our great guests, uh, I'm drinking a beer, just a little one. First, first show I've drank a beer in I don't know how many years. Um, and also, I'm actually kind of suited up. I'm not like a bum today. I don't, I don't have a hat. That's huge. I'm kind of intentionally changing things up a little bit for myself, getting out of my comfort zone. And uh, we have some great guests here, but enough about me. So you can tell me if you like any of these changes, yes or no. Uh, but let's get to the guests because we've got a huge uh, panel right here. We have uh, two uh, elected officials and definitely a uh, state. Uh, I'm not sure how, well, how. She's got a state job, all right? Uh, she's a big-time person, a uh, friend of the show, someone I've known for years. I respect, uh, love her work, love her as a person. Uh, so we get some great people on the show. First, I'm going to start with... Uh, the most most difficult name for me in the back over here at the end, uh, who I just met. Uh, she's very lovely, uh, a alderman uh, from Melrose, an alderman at large, Manisha Butra. I got yeah. it right. Butra. Butra. Close, but not right. Very close. Not not good enough though. Good, like a C. <laughs> C plus. C plus. Thank you. You're very you're very kind. <laughs> And uh, we also have uh, sitting next to her is uh, Somerville uh, Alderman, uh, Ben, I might screw this up, because I didn't even ask him, Ben Ewan Campen? Ewan Campen. Ewan Campen. <laughs> ben Ewan Campen. I'm so loose, I didn't ask you how to pronounce your name. I asked Shaleen, but then I, I knew I meant to ask you, but I didn't. Ben Ewan Campen. Uh, thank you. And uh, last but not least... Uh, like I said, we got a great panel here. We have the Cannabis Control Commissioner from Massachusetts, my Cannabis Control Commissioner, because she's always the one I agree with. The other ones I'm not so sure about most of the time. Um, and I'm not saying that to hit them up. I'm just talking about on the votes. I like her votes. I like what she's actually done uh, as uh, Cannabis Control Commissioner. Uh, welcome back to the show. Uh, Shalene Title. You said my name right. Of course I did. <laughs> Thank you for being here. Uh, we got a lot to talk about. Uh, I wanted to go probably right to Shaleen first because, you know, I just put out uh, a call for questions. And one of the first ones that came up that I really liked uh, was from a longtime medical cannabis uh, advocate. Her, uh, she has a daughter uh, uh, who, uh, you know, has seizures. And she's been, you know, passionate about this cause because of children like her daughter. Um, and she also works at a dispensary. Um, her name's Jill, and uh, she had a question about the medical cannabis program because that's now going to be under the Cannabis Control Commission. And she wanted to know um, when will ch when will changes take place that address uh, some of the issues in the medical cannabis program, uh, such as that there's only currently one pediatrician uh, in the state of Massachusetts willing to certify children 
for medical cannabis. And that could be, you know, even with recreational, that doesn't mean children can use it for medical. They still need a prescription. And there's a lot of issues uh, because of that. She's also asking um, for expedited access for hospice patients and uh, fix the HIPAA violation uh, to register. That's about the registration that patients have to register and be in the database. And some people call that a HIPAA violation. Can you address that? Sure. Um, well, let me first say I, I know Jill. I love Jill. She's so inspired. I know it's like not on her to be inspiring because she didn't choose to be in the situation that she is in. And yet she's so inspiring. And yes. uh, I would say to Jill, like, first of all, you can come in and meet with me personally anytime. You're always welcome to. Um, so the DPH, um, the medical program is being transferred from DPH to the Cannabis Control Commission on December 23rd. And after that, we will have, like, I, I haven't been able to talk to any of the employees of the program yet. I'll be able to talk to them. Um, we'll be able to take the feedback that we've gotten from a lot of different stakeholders and start talking about these changes. So actually at our last meeting, if you read the minutes from last week or you watch the live stream, we talked about a schedule um, for all of the different changes that need to be made. Um, over the next year. So we're trying to take them uh, in orderly fashion. Um, I would say in terms of the expedited ice, uh, access, that's probably of the three things you listed, the one that's the most directly under control um, of the commission. Um, I know that uh, currently there's an electronic verification program in place for patients um, that hospice patients can, can access. Um, I would be very open to hearing, you know, how that um, process has gone for patients, how it can be improved. Um, and then just in general, over the next year, as we take this program over, we're going to be making a lot of changes, I think, to bring it into parity with the adult use regs. Um, so I would say that in general, but, you know, if, if a patient is having a concern, um, and particularly with the registration, uh, you can always come to me directly. I'd be glad to hear it. That's great. And can I just say how much I love this show and oh. how glad I am to see this is the first time being in this new studio um, and how how proud I am after like so many years to see how much people trust this show and how informed your viewers are. It's really nice to be back here. Oh, well, thank you. I'm, I'm glad to hear that and have you as a listener and get the feedback from you. It's like one of the best, best things to hear from someone like yourself that you enjoy it. Um, we have a phone number, too. It's 502 501-3477. It's on the screen. I'm reading it off the screen. But you can call in, too. We'll take your call if you have any questions for the uh, Cannabis Control Commissioner, if you have any questions for the uh, two aldermen. I feel funny saying aldermen when you're a female. So should I say alderwoman? You can call me an alderwoman, city councilor. City council. You don't care. I don't care. You're chill like me. I mean, I have <laughs> opinions, and I'm also, like, my official title is alderman, um, but I'm... I think other terms are a little more un easy to understand. Like the at-large representative for Melrose? Sure, yes. At-large is also, that means citywide. Yes, which thing. means you're representing the whole city, right? Yep. And you, you know, you're, an all, you're a uh, district candidate, right? Uh, or re I am, representative. I'm a ward alderman, although I will say Somerville voted to change to city council. We had about five to ten minutes of deliberation <laughs> on that our first month in office, <laughs> voted to change to city council, and now we're just waiting for the formal state approval. But very shortly, we will become city councilors. 
which will make it a lot easier to campaign because half the conversation you have with voters is what is, what an, is alderman? an alderman <laughs> and you just say it's a city councilor <laughs> that's funny we I'll say we every time we have alderman on we have this kind of discussion too it's funny this comes up i hear other shows too in the media it literally means elder man <laughs> is that right it's weird it yeah. is weird that's weird so let's talk about uh i want to talk about cannabis because you know, when Shalene, I asked her to come on the show, she, she brought up that she was hoping to have someone from Somerville, and especially uh, yourself. Um, what's going on in Somerville? And now, because, you know, especially Marty Walsh, of all people, who uh, was an opponent and then seemed to say some things a week or two ago that some of the city council didn't seem to be too happy about. And now he's kind of hopefully saying the right things and doing the right things. That's what I mean. Sometimes he says the right things, but then he doesn't do the right things. Um, but he mentioned it seemed like Somerville. He did. So what's going on? Like, what is Somerville doing with cannabis licensing that we should know about? That you know, maybe Boston should be looking at other cities and towns. What do you think, Ben? Absolutely. So first of all, thank you very much for having me. It's really uh, it's an honor to be here. So. Somerville recently passed uh, what we call an equity or ordinance. And the big issue that we were concerned with, there's a lot of support for legalization in Somerville. Uh, I believe the ballot question passed with around 75, 76%. So we sort of knew where the constituents were at. And of course, there, there are always neighborhood issues and concerns and folks who don't agree. But I think it became clear as we watched the industry take form across the country, that this was going to be enormous. This is going to be a trillion, trillion dollar industry, and folks are really not prepared for what's about to happen. And, you know, I got to say, this was not really led by the aldermen. This was led by advocates, people like Shalene, people uh, who I'm sure watch this show, who really kind of educated the city council, brought these issues to the table and kind of made it clear to us that we were going to get crushed by a wave of ginormous national money. franchises. Money. Yes. Big money. And so what we wound up doing is it's kind of two things. The first is that we have a two-year period starting now during which uh, only what we call priority applicants can apply for licenses. And so the way that we define priority applicants, it includes all of the economic empowerment applicants that are defined by the state, which are, as I'm sure most of your viewers know. This Some of is, them don't know, because even people like within the marijuana mm -hmm. <laughs> industry who I think are covered under this complain about it. They sure. think that it's only covering certain people that they're not. So to, what is that? Like, you, Shalene, too? You want to you, jump in? Please, yeah, please, please. Shalene, you, you, were part, you wrote the, the initial law. The, uh, uh, you were part of one of the co-drafters. Co mm -hmm. Yes. So tell us about it. Yeah, so um, it originally came from a provision in the law that says communities disproportionately harmed by marijuana prohibition have to be included in the industry. And then another part of the law that was added by the legislature that said that um, applicants who can demonstrate that they provide economic empowerment for those communities should get priority to have their applications reviewed first. So those are two different programs. And so under the economic empowerment program, there were 123 applicants who were certified. Um, there was a pre-application for them to show um, that by their ownership or their hiring or uh, an open-ended standard, they meet that criteria. 
So um, I believe under Somerville's ordinance, it would either be those 123. Um, the reason it's only 123 is because under the state law, April 1 to April 15th was when that was open. So that it was before licensing opened for everyone else. But of course, there were a lot of people who did not apply during that two-week window. So I believe that Somerville will also allow others who meet the criteria. Exactly. Exactly. So that's what it is. And, and so do uh, you want to pick up the story from there, Ben? Sure. So we have, uh, we have a two-year window during which time priority applicants, whether formally or folks who meet those criteria. We also included businesses that are cooperatively owned to kind of have a economic justice aspect to this where we just think that that's a better way to run a business. If the owners uh, are the workers, share in the management, share in the, in the, the capital. Wow, uh, those revolutionary are the idea here. <laughs> yeah, can you believe it? Jeez. Uh, and we also included, and I will say this has gotten a little bit of pushback, is Somerville residents. Meaning the owner lives in Somerville, or if it's some kind of entity that owns it, 50% or more is from Somerville. And I understand the concerns around that. I think there, there's a lot of concerns uh, that a multinational corporation could easily just rent an apartment in Somerville and become a Somerville resident. I feel confident that our licensing commission is not going to look kindly on that. And is, you know, they were in the room for all of our deliberations. They very much understood what we were trying to accomplish. So I, I feel confident about that. And I do think there's a lot of value in supporting Somerville businesses. Um, so those folks have kind of a two-year window. Oh, and I also want to say it includes the existing medical marijuana facilities in Somerville, of which there were three. And I will say there was not a lot of support by the aldermen to do that uh, because we feel like those folks have a leg up in the industry already, don't really need our help. Uh, but it was made pretty clear to us that uh, they have a lot of protections under state law. And if we were to try to block them, we would almost certainly be get in sued. a court battle Maybe for a sued, couple right? of years. And I think we ultimately didn't think that it was in the best in interest of the industry to not have an industry for the next couple of years. And the other thing, so that's, that's a two-year window to make sure that kind of folks can enter the industry, uh, get a leg up. What we also did was we said going forward forever, 50% of the licenses in Somerville at all times uh, have to go to priority applicants. And so what that means is going forward, if a large corporation wants to come in, um, they cannot get a license unless at the same time a priority applicant uh, comes to market. So. I feel very optimistic about this in this, you know, if it was personally up to me, it would be 100% priority applicants. I basically have zero love for any of these huge corporations. When you. I read that article about John Boehner yes. being a marijuana lobbyist, that was when I kind of became even more radicalized on this than I was. And I also want to say, so there are two components to the regulation. There's the licensing, which is what I just described, and there's also zoning, which is a, a spatial map of where folks can actually place these stores. And there was, that was a very interesting process, um, the zoning, with a lot of unintuitive aspects to it, I will say. There was a number of people in the community reached out and said, you know, we're, we're, we support having a legal adult use marijuana industry, but we're concerned about certain parts of the city becoming kind of hubs. Um, so what they recommended was what they called an anti-clustering amendment, where you'd say, you know, one store within 300 feet, 500 feet. Um, which I think a lot of folks heard and sounds sort of reasonable on its face. What I think 
you know, I really learned from the advocate community was you're setting up a situation where the first person who gets there gets, gets to dominate. That's what Boston has. And, and that's what Boston did, actually. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. They actually have, it's not, and it's, I think it's much, a larger number than what you quoted. Yeah. But they have that. They, it's, and it's basically favors the first guys in. Yeah. So Mayor Walsh has some work to do. Um, I want to get back to, you know, um, where does it stand in Somerville now? Like It's uh, passed. It's law. It is. As so, of last Thursday, we So passed. how many applicants, how many people are like, like what? So I will say kind of what was before. So we're the legislative body. We pass the licensing ordinance and the zoning map. Actually facilitating the applicants coming in, that is the mayor's office. And I, I don't actually know exactly who has come how in, many? but w it was made clear to us that there are many applicants. Um, from within the priority applicant pool, from within Somerville. So I don't think we're going to have a hard time filling, filling the that. licenses. We do have, for two years, we have a 12-store cap, um, and then that sunsets after two years. Uh, but going forward, no matter how many there ever are, 50% of them have will be to priority be priorities. And what would your advice be to other cities and towns? Like Shaleen was saying that like so many of them are now co contemplating coming off this moratorium. Mm-hmm. And they don't know what to do because a lot of towns have said we're unsure. We need to figure this out. So we're going to stop it for now and figure it out later. But a lot of them haven't done anything since then. Sure. Like you guys were actually working during that period of time. What should cities and towns do or look at? What would your advice to them be? You've already been through this process. Well, I, you know, I do think Somerville, I feel very lucky to represent that town because we know what our constituents want uh, by the ballot vote. I mean, it was, it was overwhelming, the support for it. So there, it, it was, I didn't feel a lot of pressure to kind of uh, indulge the kind of moral panic concerns because I knew that the people had our back and kind of understood we're doing this to right a historical wrong um, and it's gone on for far too long. And there actually was a short moratorium in Somerville from forget when we took to vote but it I, I voted against it but it, it it just would have gone up in December but we got it done in time um, I would say I would recommend that towns focus on the equity portions of this I think the, the equity within the industry this industry is coming whether you like it or not it's going to be an enormous industry um, and we're talking about fixing a level of generational inequality that has just baked into our society and we have a chance to address it in I'm sure it will be a relatively small way but to really address it and I, I would just urge communities to take that seriously at the same time as you're dealing with concerns that neighbors might have I think so and I think it's only a limited window like you said you mentioned the first guy in first business in that's this is really who is benefiting the most oftentimes I want to, oh, go ahead. Can I plug a couple yes. resources on that? Yes. So um, first, the commission is holding an event for municipal officials who want to hear from their peers who have done this, um, which is the day after tomorrow on Tuesday from 1 to 4 p.m. at the Social Law Library in Boston. So um, if you go to masscannabiscontrol.com, you can find information for that event. 
And then... Um, Are you expecting, like, a good turnout from some of those cities and towns? Have you heard anything? Um, I haven't... I mean, a bunch of people I know are going personally. I haven't seen the numbers. I know registration is required. Um, I also know that it will be taped, and the stream will be available afterward if cool. you can't make it in person. Um, and where, where can people mm-hmm. find info on that? That's, you have a website now, too, right? Yeah, so it's masscannabiscontrol.com. Um, if you don't find it easily, try the um, MA underscore cannabis Twitter, because I know they've been sharing the registration link often. Perfect. And then if you go to masscannabiscontrol.com slash local equity guidance, we have a guidance document that um, is meant for you as a citizen to take to your city councilor or your older person um, and walk them through the process. And first of all, if you don't know who your city councilor is, that is totally okay. (laughs) That is very, very common. But there's really a chance here, I think, to um, make a big impact because a lot of people, um, you know, they they don't know much about cannabis. And in Somerville, you know, they weren't cannabis experts. They were people who listened to their constituents and understood the underlying inequalities here. So um, if you watch that live stream, if you check out that guidance, and then you go and talk to your local official, especially now as so many moratoriums are ending on December 31st, um, and those conversations are starting, you can be one of the people who can frame that conversation. Excellent. Uh, We have a telephone number, too, if you want to call in. Uh, Telephone number. uh, I had it written down, but I I lost it. But you you know the telephone number. It's (laughs) What is it? 501? No, no. 502 501. 3477. Thank you, guys. Again, uh, I'm going to write this down. 502 501 3477. There we go. Call in. This is a good time to call in. We don't, we don't always you know, have time to take calls. We got to some time. Even though we're running behind, we, we started late. Uh, we have a lot to get to. We, the, uh, the other Alderman. Or all the woman, or the at-large representative from Melrose. Can I just say, I, okay. when we were having this debate about aldermen, I thought it would have been really funny if we just officially changed the name to Alderwoman for the next hundred years. <laughs> That's just right. So all the men know what down. it feels like. Awesome. There was a community <laughs> that, yeah. that tried that for their board of selectmen as like a point of argument. My thing is that. Um, even if it was older person or older woman, people still don't know what that means. So besides the gender aspect, and I don't, I always think it like evokes this council of village elders, which doesn't feel like the accessible, approachable government that I think we're trying to um, accomplish. But you were going to ask me probably about Melrose and where. Yeah, we're, wait, yeah. where are you in Melrose, and well, where are so, you on this? Um, I'm definitely in the sort of information gathering phase. Melrose has been working on um, updating our. We've had a moratorium that's expiring at the end of the year, but um, we have a public hearing coming up on January 14th to review zoning recommendations that the planning board has been working on for the entire year. Um, We do have one registered medical dispensary, Garden Remedies, um, on, I forget, Route 99, I think. Um, And uh, and Melrose was... So, so we're kind of in an interesting position. So we're population-wise, obviously smaller than Somerville. We're about 28,000 residents. We're about four square miles. Um, Beautiful town. Very heavily residential. Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of conversations going on in the community, I think folks are going to be looking at this from the sort of public health aspects, but also revenue. Um, 
And so there's a lot of sort of conversation bubbling up within the community, but we, um, right now I'm looking at a zoning uh, ordinance that has been put before us regarding where um, retailers and dispensaries and other marijuana related uses will be allowed. And it, I can see that a lot of thought has been put into to that. I've been very pleased with our um, folks at City Hall in terms of thinking, really educating themselves on the issue. Um, I think where we have, I guess, room to keep exploring is beyond those um, locations is also the licensing priority uh, applicants and priority applicants because because of our scale we used to be a dry town for many years we have one beer and wine uh, retailer in our and a few restaurants that are allowed to serve liquor but because um, of that I think our requirement is sort of a minimum of one and the planning board is recommending that we allow for two um, so Scale-wise, we're in a different place. So what does that mean if we were to try to do the 50% or can we explore not having a cap, things like that. So these are the questions that are bubbling Coming up in my mind. Which yep. is going to be different than Somerville, obviously. Yeah. Um, you know, I, uh, we have a phone call we'll take, but uh, I have a quick question for you because I just hit, it hit me. I know, you know, Melrose, we talked about I had family from Melrose. But I don't know. Is Melrose a town or a city? It's a city, isn't it? It's a city. I, that is something I, I feel I call very it a proud town. of. Yep. It oh, seems like a town, though. We, like we do seem like a town. We're like, I think that's one of the ways in which Melrose has been per, kind of progressive through its history. Since 1900, Melrose has been a city. I love Mel Melrose. Uh, like I said, I have, to, I have family ties there. We have a phone call. Who's on the phone? Mike, it's Grant. How are you doing? Good. How are you doing, Grant? Good. I just had a question with regarding equity, with regards to equity in the cannabis program for Commissioner Title. And my question is, can we really achieve equal access to the market if local towns and cities are violating the 3% cap on fees in regards to community host agreements? Because how can small businesses operate effectively in the market if municipalities are collecting exorbitant fees uh, before a business can even apply for the license. Hi, Grant. Hi. <laughs> so, great question. Um, definitely something I have spent more of my life talking about than I ever <laughs> imagined I would. So, um, real quick, the one sentence recap for people who may not be familiar. So, under the law, Applicants for a local license, um, so every applicant that wants a business has to go through local approval, they cannot offer unlimited payments to municipalities in exchange for local approval because obviously that would favor only the largest, wealthiest operators. However, the limits that were set, which were 3% of revenues per year under a host community agreement, have not been enforced. And so that is a, something that I have raised concerns about, a lot of other people have raised concerns about, and um, I think is starting, I think the public scrutiny is really starting to um, make a difference. Um, this week we saw in Fall River that for the first time to my knowledge host community agreements were actually changed for the licenses that the Commission issued this week um, it was at 4% of revenue and it was reduced to 3% of revenue. How did that happen? How did that happen is the question right so let's keep talking about wow. this right wow. and make that continue to happen. Um, so what I want to say is I 
have spent a lot of time complaining about local <laughs> officials, right, and these host community agreements, but look who we have here. Like, look at how clearly well-intentioned they are and wanting to do it right. So find the person in your town or city, that's your Ben or your Manisha or council, <laughs> man or woman or alderman, and just be their expert um, and use the resources that the CCC has had available because I think it's not intuitive to people sure. that when you make zoning really restrictive or when you try and scale back um, at the local level, how much that favors Definitely. The, the big, big operators. Guys. And you know what? I have to thank John Boehner because John Boehner has done more for my work than anyone else because it says so much in so few words right. when you explain what John Boehner is doing. And then people get it. And then they're like, how can we make this equitable? Uh, how's that sound, Grant? Oh, absolutely wonderful. I, I do just want to note, and I'm sure the commissioner is aware of this, that the Fall River uh, host community agreement does still have, on top of the 3%, a separate $50,000 contribution to the town. That's and of course, I think you hit the nail on the head that public oversight is really the best way to ensure that the regulations are not being abused to facilitate a regulatory capture of the market by moneyed groups. So I can't thank you enough for all of your work. You're an inspiration to those of us who are grassroots uh, activists, and I just wanted to say thank you. Same to you, Grant. Yeah, same to you, Grant. Thank you. Oh, and of course, the same to you, Mike, but I tell you that all the time, so. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I mean it to you, though. You're, uh, you're a good guy. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for taking the call, and I really appreciate the uh, other uh, two guests, the Somerville and uh, Melrose uh, Alder people. I've been listening to them as well. I really appreciate their time uh, engaging on the issue. Excellent. Thank you, Grant. Thanks. And related to that um, phone call, there's also uh, news of a lawsuit from uh, Peter Bernard. Uh, he's been talking about it on Facebook and talking about like the number of cities and towns that are over this host community agreement. And he's saying that the lawsuit's going to be filed in the next couple weeks. Do you think uh, there's any hope that that could win? What do you think? So I'm, I'm quite the big mouth. I don't censor myself, as you know, but I absolutely cannot comment on a pending lawsuit. Uh, that's what I figured. <laughs> <laughs> I had to ask, though. You know what yeah. I mean? Because if I don't ask it, then people get mad at me. Of course. And I knew, I kind of figured that. <laughs> Especially also, when you might be part of, like, <laughs> okay, yeah. I just have You're a general good comment. Go ahead. Uh, as a local elected official, when I see folks making a lot of money off real estate speculation, for example, in Somerville, I have a tendency to want to get a piece of that for the folks who are getting left behind in Somerville. That's right. So I, I very much understand the impetus to squeeze lucrative industries for municipal resources to do the things that we need as a city. And I just think it's important that folks understand that that also can be weaponized in order to keep small businesses out. And I think if you live in a city where this is going on, I really do recommend just reaching out to your local elected because we hear all the time from folks who are really passionate in one direction or another, but hearing just from, you know, I've never written to a city councilor before, but I'm interested in this, that really makes a big difference for us to hear. Um, so I could, I, I just want to echo the urgency that you should reach out to your folks. And these conversations are happening all over the state right now. And, and yes. all, you know, cities and towns, probably your city and town if you're a Massachusetts resident, so do it. I mean, it's not, I've done it. I mean, uh, when I lived in Cambridge, they didn't know me at first, but by the time we were done, like, 
I knew who was voting yes and who was voting no on medical. Actually, I didn't. I expected one against us, and he actually went with us. And I got in a fight with him that day on, on Facebook. <laughs> but we were cool. You know, like, I like him. I still like him. Like, Politics. He so voted for me in the end. Well, actually, he, I think he didn't vote. I think that's how it went. You know, but Piggy, you just go and talk on, to people. Um, your comment about what you can and can't comment on, I think that was something we were talking about earlier and I would love, I don't know if this is too elementary for your audience, but just explaining kind of your role as a, yes. a commissioner and how that might weigh into what you can and can't say in terms of helping us out in terms of interpreting our local ordinances and, and making recommendations. Sure. I mean, the way I interpret it is if it's not against state law and it's not on a pending lawsuit, I will gladly talk about it. I work for the public. That's my that's my role. And certainly that includes talking about the state level process. I know that a lot of um, citizens and their local representatives find it comforting when they hear, for example, that um, there's a really robust application process, there's background checks, there's very tight security. Um, you are not going to find people, you know, walking out of a dispensary and immediately smoking. You know, there's like very serious um, security there. Uh, and so I'm happy to talk about it. It's also very um, easy to find uh, guidance that we've provided. Like I said, masscannabiscontrol.com um, and the guidance documents. And again, like, yeah, it's nothing to fear uh, to go and get involved in your local process. I've been to a lot of these meetings, and if you are a viewer of the show and you show up, you might very well be the only person who's like, hey, what if we don't have a cap? What if we don't have a ban? You know, and then people are like, oh, you know, and, and, and they're thoughtful and they're well-intentioned. Who's there in the room during the first conversation makes such a difference. Oftentimes it's just introducing yourself. Write an email, showing up. You know, you'll, you'll see them in the hallway. The city council, you just go up to them and say, hey, I'm... Joe, I live on this street and I'm on this issue. Can I talk? You know, oftentimes they'll, they'll invite you to meet, you know, later on and have a cup of coffee. This is not rocket science. It's just being nice and asking for it and being firm. Don't, you know, back off on, you know, don't try to be, you know, pushed over, but you don't have to be rude, you know. Just treat people like a human being and say, hey, I'm here. I want to tell you about why I care about this, why, you know just some of the things that we've been talking about where we can use this great industry with all these other people. I mean, let's talk about what's been going on. We're talking about cannabis today. We, we have a couple shops. We're getting tons of tax re revenue in Massachusetts. We're getting lots of money in for the cities and towns that have these uh, new shops open. And uh, we can use this to help some of the people in Massachusetts instead of big out-of-state concerns. Uh, instead of big Canadian companies that want to come in, uh, big Colorado companies, big California companies, even some of the you know companies from Massachusetts happen to be big money. Why not help some of the average you know people who have been incarcerated, jailed, victimized by the war in cannabis? How about helping you know some of the patients? These are the things that we want to see, and and this is what we're talking about today. Uh, some people are asking, wh what are we talking about on, on our? Uh, Facebook Live, and, and that's really the conversation here. We have two uh, alder uh, persons, alder men, uh, from two different cities in Massachusetts, one from Somerville, one from Melrose, and we also have the Cannabis Control Commissioner, uh, Shalene Title. 
Uh, there is five cannabis control commissioners in Mass. Yes. And you're the one that represents what I feel is the community, the larger community, uh, especially the people like myself that wanted illegal cannabis, that like the way things are going. Uh, Technically, yeah, I was appointed for expertise in social justice, and then the other four for public health, public safety, government regulation, and business. And we make all of our decisions from those five perspectives. That's right. And, you know, I like the... Uh, the big thing for me for cannabis was criminal justice reform. That was like the biggest thing. I mean, I'm a medical user, a cannabis user, consumer, the whole nine yards. But the big thing for me is I didn't want to see people get their lives ruined, arrested, lose, you know, all the things that we see. And some of these things still happen. Um, you know, there was a story this week about the why. Uh, I think you commented on that. Yeah. What did you think about that, the YMCA story in Springfield? Yeah, so the Springfield YMCA, um, and I, I am quite certain that this was not sanctioned at the higher level, um, but somebody who was an employee wrote a letter to parents that were coming in for child care that said, we've noticed parents are, I'm paraphrasing here obviously, um, we've noticed parents are smelling like marijuana. We're mandated reporters, and if you smell like marijuana, we will report you. Um, and that is blatantly illegal. Um, if you know um, Sarah Melissa Arnold and her uh, Family Law and Cannabis Alliance organization, they worked with Representative David Rogers to write a provision in the law that made sure that if you are a legal marijuana user, there is no um, proceeding or custody related action that can be taken against you simply for legal use without other evidence. And so um, that was uh, clearly presented to the, the YMCA and they ended up apologizing, which was great to Probably. see. I think they did the right thing. And they got a lot of press on that too for Mass Live and uh, the Boston Globe, I noticed. And I saw it on the Young Jerks page too. I yeah, believe. we talked about it as well, yes. We've been talking about it. Um, so yeah, I mean, we're having this conversation about how can we have a fair, equitable industry where it's just not big money? Uh, people are still upset, especially, I think, on the pro-cannabis side, which, you know, we've noted some of the heat. Um, I guess what are our we've, – we've kind of said it already. People need to contact their cities and towns. Uh, you know, Stephen Mandilli often says it lately. You know, people need to co stop complaining and start acting and start, you know, calling, calling the right people, which is – the city councilors, the alder people, the mayor, whoever is in charge of your city, you know, the zoning committee, you need to go out and meet these people and introduce yourself and tell them, right? Am I right? Is this Absolutely. I think what people need to understand is that um, at the state level, we did something quite unusual, which is that we don't have a cap or a competitive licensing process at the state level. Either you qualify or you don't qualify. And we did that because we didn't want it to be this, like, competitive golden ticket situation, right? But what that leads to is because you need local approval and most municipalities have caps, who we license becomes a function right. of who the local localities license. And which people don't understand, Koo, because, you know, I, I wrote a big expose. You know, people wanted me to ask about the NETA question because I wrote an expose about NETA and some of the stuff that went on and what their employees said. But that, like... Even me, like I'm glad that everyone gets a fair shake with the CCC. That everyone basically gets a license if you follow this, you know, if you follow this framework, and you, you know, people get really upset about that. But it's like we don't want it to be re too restrictive on the state level. The problem is the cities and towns, and that's where the games are being played. And I also just to to speak on that for one second, uh, the voter turnout 
in Somerville for local elections is 15%, 10%. And this is Somerville, this really progressive place right. where in a presidential election, in the midterms, a we just had A lot of candidates for, for aldermen too, right? I, mean, I, I was a first-time candidate. Um, I, this is my first time in elected office. I'm a biologist. I have no background <laughs> in politics. I just got really passionate once I started going to these meetings, started looking at how I was being represented or not being represented. It, I kind of snapped, jumped in the race. Uh, but I just think what a lot of folks don't understand, especially was in this local one politics, of the issues that you got elected on? Are you saying too? Like, no, was, no we, so you, what, what were the meetings you, you were on? Just all the was, meetings in general. Housing affordability okay, cool. is issue one through ten. That's I mean that's for everyone that's around for here. I mean I'm, I'm you know I'm like the biggest cannabis advocate, but yeah. housing is a bigger issue now. It's just for everybody. It's these the, issues are issue. all related. Yeah, but. Housing is so central to every other aspect of your life. Oh my God! I mean, especially around here, twenty five hundred for a studio in Cambridge. I mean, who? What kind of twenty year old can afford that? It's they. You know, these kids work three jobs, and they and they people say they're lazy because they live at home with their parents. It's what are you talking about? Look at the cost of living. It's it's out of control. But what I think folks, or what I certainly did not understand, is when it comes to local politics, when you start running for office. The first thing that people tell you about campaigning is you have to go talk to the people who are going to vote in the election. You don't have enough time, you don't have enough money to talk to everybody. You have to focus on the people who are going to vote. And statistically, we know the people who are going to vote in the next election are the people who voted in the last election and the election before that. So what every candidate does is they get a list of the people who vote in every municipal election. And those are the folks who own their houses, who own local businesses, or older. who are often older, older, more well off. Somerville is 65% renters. I would guess if you went and asked all those renters whether they know who their city councilors are, whether they know the structure of the local government, and this is not a dig at the community, this is this is reality. a generational this is civics education screw up <laughs> that's on all of us. But I, I think folks don't really realize how powerful they could be that's right. in local politics. Um, so just at a very basic level, if you start voting, candidates have to start talking to you. That's right. They have to knock on your door. They have to message. And to they you. do knock on your door. I mean, especially Cambridge and some of them. When I lived in Cambridge, doors, they yeah. were knocking on my because I was a voter. I voted. That's right. Um, it, it's so funny too when you show up too, just a couple times. I mean, I look at Cambridge. It's a pretty. I lived in Cambridge. It's a pretty big city, considering, and I, I just couldn't believe the amount of power we had by just showing up, just a couple of us. And mm -hmm. just becoming friends with them and, uh, you know, and, and showing them that we are real people. And so I can't say this enough because if you could, if I could do this in Cambridge and like I, I wasn't from Cam I didn't grow up in Cambridge. I didn't have a million dollars. You know what I mean? Like I just walked in. And if I could do that in a city like Cambridge, a big city, pretty big, you know, you could say Boston's bigger. Okay. But most cities are we not. We could argue about that. Yeah. We, 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 it's true. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Nice joke. Um, but let's just say, uh, you know, not too many places are bigger than Cambridge. So if you live in a small town, I know there's a lot of BS that goes on in small towns, but you got to try. Because sometimes there's one person really that they want this information. They want help. They want support. They want to know that there's that someone's got their back, you know. And so, if they don't listen to you, no joke, you can run against them. And you can That's win. Literally, you what can I win know. on the issue. This is not. I'm not exaggerating. Like, and you can a, beat them now. A like, group of ten or fifteen people who are committed well, so can I win an election. I imagine there are people listening, and they're like, "Yeah, I'm gonna 
do all that stuff and then they're gonna finish watching the show or listening and then they'll be like what how do i do that (laughs) so cities and towns are required to post their meetings online um on in paper still on bulletin boards but online if you go to for example cityofmelrose.org if you go to our our website um there's a link on the left called meetings agenda portal i think it's really similar for somerville somerville has a link to the video right on your page which i love we have all of our meetings are also on mmtv i think sometimes people are like want to get involved but it's like things are still stuck in the 20th century a lot in terms of how we push out information um so that's one thing is is going to your city or town website i think i've been at least trying to have like a social media presence to again make that a little more accessible because okay going to that website you're going to go there you're not going to see our um, marijuana ordinance unless unless you know to look for the december 3rd meeting agenda or if you use a little search field and type in marijuana then you might figure it out so i think that's something i mean like it's it's i think a lot of times we're in the position of saying oh we want more people to get involved and i think the tools for getting involved aren't always as Oh, it's true. That's and the hardest That's part. something that, like, I hope that I think we're. I mean, so we met at like we're both new counselors, aldermen, whatever. Um, we met at a new counselors training, and it's like I think a lot of us who are sort of in that cohort of new folks are really interested in trying to make government more accessible, and we do want that. We I want like the transparency that. and the accountability. And there's a lot of things. I mean, like I, I think I imagine for Somerville as well, but this is definitely my other like I have a full-time job so as much as I want to be really informed on marijuana I'm also we have an affordable housing incentive overlay coming before us Mm -hmm. line bikes are coming before us there's a number of different issues and I want to be an expert in all of them but I think it really really helps when folks who you might have that sort of feeling of imposter syndrome like what do I know about this I was having that before coming on the show Um, it's very natural but I think just reaching out is really, really important. I'm, I'm so glad you said that. You're, you're great. Uh, you're all great. This has been a great show. I'm having like a moment of like next generation of leaders here. Yeah. You know? And I liked how you talked about the, you know, knowing when the meetings are, because it is hard work. Like that was the biggest issue for me and Cambridge was finding out when the meetings are. And you know how you usually find out? Either one of two ways, either the newspaper or the city councilor that you were just talking to calls you and says, hey, uh, this is coming up Wednesday. Make sure you're there, Mike, because I know you care about this and you've been telling me about it, you know? So and sometimes you'd find it on the website, but, but that is difficult. It's difficult to find these things. And it is important if you're, a, uh, I think, an elected official on a local town level, city level, that you should try to make these things more transparent and available so people know about the meetings and the hearings. And don't assume that people know. Because most people don't have the time. I mean, I'm someone who wanted to know, and sometimes I didn't know. Right. So, uh, you guys have been great. Everyone. Jalene, uh, I, I want to thank you so much for coming in tonight. What time is it right now? Are we. I, I don't know what that means. 10 o'clock? 10 minutes? 10 minutes we got left? But we got, we got time, I guess. The um, question is, when is Shaleen going to run for governor? I know, right? Oh, that is a, thank you. That is a great question. Yeah. People have actually Not brought that up before. They have, I've seen that on Facebook. Yeah. They wanted to run against Charlie Baker last time. Oh, yeah. 
What, would you ever run for office? That's a question that comes up. I'm not. I'm not feeling that. Oh. Really <laughs> no. Can we talk you into it? We'll just keep Are asking. You, sure? you know what I want to know though is um, because I'm just like inspired when you said if you. Well, okay. I think if you go to your local official and you say, I feel really strongly about this, will you have coffee with me? It's going to turn out well, because especially if you've never done it before, that makes a huge difference. It does. But let's say you do that and it doesn't go well and you decide you want to run against them. Um, I love that. Can you both just talk a little bit about how you decide it? Can yes. I pretend to be Oh, yeah. You okay. can. You can. <laughs> can you That's talk about that? you today. <laughs> how we decided to run? How you decide to run. Um, so, I mean, I always start, like, it feels really corny to say this. I've always really been interested in public service. I'm a city planner professionally, um, and I've loved that problem solving of, you know, the sort of local civics and these tricky issues, but then that they have real life impacts. And in my career, I've sought out opportunities to do that in my work, and I kind of felt kept feeling that pull for advocacy and representation. And um, I think I've had that kernel of the idea in my mind that I wanted to run for office for a while. Um, and, you know, I'd been sort of taking steps towards it and then got a little bit of a turbo boost, say, around sometime in 2016, um, which is not to say like, it's, like it, that desire had been there. Um, but I think it was just sort of like a how can I serve my community, but also seeing the power that representation can really have. And and wanting to enact, actually one powerful thing to me is I was around going around to municipalities in my capacity as a planner and seeing the lack of representation that was there and feeling like, well, I could be part of the solution. So that's part of what inspired me to run. Excellent, and Ben? I mean, if I don't find that corny at all, I think my story is way cornier, <laughs> which is I was, a, had no interest or knowledge in local politics whatsoever. Uh, after Trump got elected, my brain exploded, and everyone I know, we kind of had this collective aneurysm, basically, and realized our entire generation had been focusing on national politics while our municipal infrastructure got just steadily more captured by business interests and real estate speculation and doesn't even exactly fall on the left-right spectrum, but I would call it more conservatism. And when I started going to local meetings, I, I really could not believe it, honestly, in a place like Somerville, where if you walk down the street, it's a really progressive place. It's a place where people are really passionate, really left-wing, and that just was not being represented whatsoever. And I, the really, there was one kind of flashpoint in Somerville politics at that point, which had to do with a waiver around an affordable housing uh, law. So a certain percentage of new development has to be set aside for uh, affordable income. Yeah, affordable units called inclusionary zoning. During the course of a very large development, the former Board of Aldermen raised that percentage. And this developer went to the city and basically said, well, this project was already in the works. Can we get a waiver from the new law? Hmm. Which is just, you know, think about that. For, no, we just changed <laughs> the law because we want more and you can afford it. And, uh, it was at one of those meetings where, you know, the numbers worked out. It was something like 35, 36 apartments on the line in this decision, which may not sound like that much, but to me, you know, I had kind of just gotten into municipal activism. My day job's in biology. I'd never really thought about this. I thought, wait a second, 
I could jump in this race. Maybe that would help put a little bit of political pressure on the powers that be currently to move it. Right. Or maybe I could actually win. In which case, you know, even if I accomplish nothing else, if 36 families, low-income families, get to live in Somerville, that's worth two years of work, right? Like that's not, So that was the nugget of it. I will say, we did not win that fight, which was really radicalizing. It was just to be in the room where the decision was made to give that waiver really kind of snapped into power how power works. It snapped into kind of resolution for me how this really works. And it was from there, it was kind of off to the races, and I started meeting folks who were running and getting really, really inspired by kind of just, there was a movement after the Trump election, I gotta say, of local people who had never once considered getting involved. Just regular people. In in Somerville, I was one of five new aldermen who were elected, and and there's kind of a a very progressive supermajority there now that has really never happened in Somerville politics. So there was, this was, certainly not like me out there right, doing this. Right. This was part of a movement. It, it seems like this is happening more and more. Like uh, we, we did shows for so long. We've been doing this for a while on a different network with a different show even at one point. But um, we, we used to get candidates that could never win. Like that's all we had. They would ne- like Green Party, sometimes a Democrat or Republican, a challenger, but never have a chance. And then Mike Conley won. And ever since, it's like we can have, we, we haven't changed. Like we, we, you know, we're still the pure, we're still going for, but now we have winners all the time. And it's local level, state level. And you even see it that, I mean, Ayana won. I mean, we, we felt like we had Capuano, he was our friend, and we had Ayana. We actually surprisingly chose Ayana, I say surprising, because, you know, we were happy with Michael Capuano on so many issues, like cannabis for me. He had helped, he was the only one that came to like that would I could go to and he would actually help me and you know, with a lot of things so long ago. But it's like the best of both worlds now and it seems like more and more this is happening locally, nationally, and not just in Massachusetts, but everywhere, right? It's I, exciting. I sure hope so. Yeah. I will say, you know, the challenges before us are enormous. You know, I, I feel like I wish that with a supermajority on the board of Alderman in Somerville we wouldn't have an affordable housing crisis anymore. Uh, the the forces that we're up against are big money, are massive, big money, They're massive, and it's not, it's not. I don't want anyone to be under the impression like you can change everything overnight. But what other option do we have but to build this from the ground up? I mean, that's I think that's the only way we could possibly change this in the long run. So I'm extremely. On a daily basis, I'm often pessimistic, but on the kind of zoomed out level, I'm incredibly optimistic about what's happening. I think we're in a position to challenge those norms that get us, like Ayanna, for example, Ayanna Presley, she challenged that notion that you go to voters who have voted before, right? And she challenges the idea that the people who show up are the only people who care. Um, And I've always found that mentality to be really inspiring to me, where it's like, yes, I do need to knock on the doors of the folks who show up consistently, but I also am going to tell people who actually cannot vote for me that I represent them as well because they're part of my community. And and knowing that there's a sort of, we're in the sphere of, and this wave or whatever you want to call it, of people who feel that way is just constantly inspiring and reinvigorating when the challenges are really enormous. 
this is going to sound like a joke, but it's not. I'm 100% serious. I would love to see people run for office, especially at the local level, on the topic of marijuana. That's right. Because they, on the whole, people are so far ahead. Um, I co-founded the organization Marijuana Majority with um, Tom Angel and a That's couple right. others. And that was the point of it, to say, you don't need to be scared to talk about this issue. It's the opposite. People are dying, hungry for someone who can represent them on it. I'd love to see that, but in general, I agree with them. I think, like, yes, there's a lot um, to come up against, but I also think the powers that be are very disoriented by authentic voices. I think so. I think it's the time, too. You know, because I look back, Jeffrey Sanchez, remember him? Oh, he yes. was against medical cannabis. We had uh, this guy, Jeffrey Herman, run against him. It was, it was just about the issue of cannabis, and that was it. And Jeffrey Herman had no chance of winning and didn't win, but... Jeffrey Sanchez did get challenged by someone, and it turns out she is pro-cannabis, uh, and especially legalization. She came on the show last week. I don't know if you heard Mika. her interview. Mika. Did you hear about My that? Or, no one, no one's talked about this in the media. Hmm. It's so funny, like, because I'm gonna have to write it up again. We got like a pretty much a scoop, I think. I mean, I'm gonna have to look it up and see if anyone else, if she's told the story to anyone else. But her father was a pot dealer, and she wasn't afraid of the cannabis. She was afraid of the the, the violence from yeah. the cannabis trade. So she saw it as a young child and told her father, please stop selling cannabis. Mm -hmm. And he did. He actually listened to her as a young child. And she was afraid of the violence. And, and I mean, you know, it just, it comes around full circle. You know, you take that stand the first time. You might not even win the campaign if you make it about cannabis. But you, today, you might. You really might win now. Like, that's the difference. Before, 10 years ago, there was no chance you were going to win on cannabis. Today... You, if you're hardworking and you connect and maybe on other issues as well, if you thread it together, you could definitely win. I mean, we're seeing that. You, you guys are examples of that right now. So I'm, I'm excited uh, for the future. And I think it's, again, I, I want to do the show today to talk about instead of just complaining about the, uh, the host community agreements, which stink. I mean, we're not happy about that. But there are things we could be doing on a local level, state, local uh, especially the local cities and towns and, and uh, you're, you've done it and, and you're working on it right now so uh, I hope people do get inspired and uh, check out where can people check out the information if they want to go talk to their city councilor again Shalene mathcannabiscontrol.com slash local equity guidance and then I'm also very, people think I'm busier than I am I'm totally accessible if you want to ask me questions about the events or the links or anything like that and this is, again, this is the, uh, I'd say, the leader of the cannabis, uh, she's the leader of the movement, and she's a cannabis control commissioner at the same time. Um, her name's Shalene Title, and uh, if you like cannabis, you should know about Shalene. You should be following Shalene, because I learned a lot from her, and uh, I, can't, I can't thank you enough lately. Seriously. You're, you're awesome. I, I just, I want to, because I think everyone wants to give you a round of applause. Thank you, Shalene Title. Thank you for being here. Thank you for organizing this today. Uh, we love you. And uh, stay strong. I know sometimes that you, I can't imagine you must get discouraged on some days, right? I do, but I, and I appreciate that so much because sometimes if I'm like in a in a in a any kind of meeting, I might feel alone. But then I remember that I'm not alone. I'm not just the person like screaming about this into the ether because I have a whole movement behind me. And I thank you for that. Thank you. Uh, I just for, want to second that. that also. As an elected official, having folks like Shalene leading the movement, you know, we take courage 
from Shaleen all the Absolutely. time. I mean, we're in these meetings where you have to go out on a limb a lot of times yep. politically. Not everybody in the room agrees with you, but uh, you know, I feel often like we're following in the footsteps of what you do on this issue. So thank you very much for all your leadership. It's something I see it here often too from other elected officials too, so. I follow in a lot of footsteps too, and then I try and pay that forward. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Well, we're the Young Jerks. We're so happy we had some great guests today. Uh, again, Shaleen Title, Cannabis Control Commissioner. Uh, we also had Ben here. He is a uh, Somerville Alderman. Uh, which ward? I'm Ward 3, and I also, I think I would be remiss if I didn't mention that uh, the Ward 2 alderman did an incredible amount of work on this issue. His name is J.T. Scott. He wanted to be here tonight, but he's on dad duty. Yes. He's uh, taking care daddy. of his daughter, Independence. Um, but, you know. That's her he, name? Yeah. Yeah, wow, yeah. that's cool. Um, and J.T. Scott, you know, for folks who follow this stuff, I'd encourage reaching out to him. He's a, he's a wealth of knowledge on this as well. And Manisha, you also, you were a little nervous at first to come on, but was it fun? Yes. I had I a great time. Thank you for the, thanks for inviting me. You're great. I would love to have you on again to all sure. of you. You're all great <laughs> and uh, amazing. And thank you, Shaleen, because Shaleen, you organized this whole thing tonight. Yeah, I mean, I just wanted to show, like I said, after I complained so much about local officials, just how great <laughs> some of them are. That's right. And we need more good ones. So if you're watching, um, you know, in other cities and towns, I know some of you, because some of you come on, some of you hit me up. Uh, check this episode out. Watch the whole thing if you're just catching it out, because... There's a lot of good information for you, especially if you're a leader in one of your cities or towns, or you're just a constituent that needs to communicate with them on what to do next. We're the Young Jerks. We'll be here uh, next Saturday at 6 p.m.-ish. Uh, yeah, <laughs> my crew's yelling at me because we're always late now, but it's okay. We're like, it's not a big deal. I'm fine with it. I don't know if our <laughs> audience is. That's cool. But um, yeah, we're the Young Jerks. We'll be here next Saturday. My tongue, I gotta admit, I had a little bit of beer, and my tongue is a little looser right now. What was the occasion? You said you hadn't had a beer in you, That you're here, I guess. <laughs> We're doing a show Cheers. on Sunday, too, as well. Yes. And, uh, oh, I also want to mention next week's show. We're going to have a bunch of those micro-applicants come in. We're going to have a little roundtable, uh, discuss some of the issues they're having on getting licensed in different cities and towns throughout the state. And we're also going to have my personal... Uh, animal behaviorist. You know I walk dogs. That's what I do 24-7. And uh, my girlfriend and I, Carmelita, from uh, WAF, the radio legend, she also works with dogs, and we do rescues. And, and uh, the guy that we work on, when we, you know, that we call, when we have issues with our dogs or other dogs, uh, his name Rocco. He's been on the show before. He's going to come back next week. He's an animal behaviorist or an animal train trainer. Think uh, Caesar. Like Caesar uh, Milan, but better looking. That's what Rocco will say. He's from Revere, you know. His name's Rocco, you know what I mean? He's going to be here next week as well. So it's going to be a big show. If you have any questions uh, about, you know, your dogs and training your dogs, that will be next week. Save your questions for next week for Rocco. Uh, Canine Castle is his business up in Marblehead, Mass. He's awesome. Uh, so it's going to be a big show. Again, I want to thank our guest. I want to thank our caller, Grant. And I want to thank uh, Disrupt Boston, Mike Doobie, and uh, Brian Murphy behind the boards running it. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Thank you all.